it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Busy Thursday to get through. Uh, Matt Whitaker at the bottom of the hour. He was the acting attorney general for Donald Trump. We've got to get his take on what's going on right now at the border and beyond, as well as the court cases Donald Trump is facing. And Senator James Langford standing by to put in perspective what raising and negotiating the debt ceiling's about and so much more. So before we get to the senator from Oklahoma, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Will you commit tonight to accepting the results of the 2024 election? Yeah, if I think it's an honest election, absolutely I would. So not committing to accepting the 2024 election results or acknowledging what happened in 2020. Unbelievable, right? 2024, President Trump's New Hampshire town hall was a brawl and shows nothing has changed for the better or the worst at CNN. What clearly would have been better is if he was president, Joe Biden was uh, was uh, uh, and it was his policies and Joe Biden was not president. But it's also clear most media outlets have no intention of treating him with any respect. Number two. We are clear eyed about the challenges we are likely to face in the days and weeks ahead, which have the potential to be very difficult. We expect to see large numbers of encounters at our southern border in the days and weeks after May 11th. He's going to have a press conference at in about an hour. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, a disaster. Buckling, bursting, and maybe breaking. The situation at our border never has been so bad as we wave goodbye to Title 42. Don't kid yourself. This is a Biden administration-made disaster. We break it all down and prepare for the worst. Number one. There doesn't appear to be any clean reason why all this money would be coming from Romania and China and wherever and being passed through these shell companies into the pockets of members of the Biden family. Britt Hume weighing in, putting in perspective the big presser yesterday. Biden family business exposed. Nine Bidens, uh, nine Bidens raking millions through 20 separate companies, and we can't name a thing they did to earn that money. Oh, wait, except perhaps for Joe Biden using his influence and effects and decisions, dare I say, to set policy. We'll discuss that with the bulk of the media ignoring it. Senator James Langford's with us now. Senator, I remember a week outside of an election, but that's really one story where there's been more serious issues going on in this country. Do you? Uh, you know, it's hard to be able to track that. I was actually thinking the same thing this morning on it, where we've got debt ceiling where the administration just refuses to address realities on debt ceiling, where we've got today the end of the pandemic and the Title 42 issues and the chaos at the border. On top of that, Biden is not talking about either one of those today. He's announcing a new green energy policy that's going to dramatically increase the cost of electricity and decrease the availability of electricity while he's trying to be able to push everyone to electric vehicles. That's what he's talking about today. So literally, it's this total disconnect from the other crises that are around him. And I think that's where he wants to get the grid down to 80 percent green around the country. 
It is, actually, and he's trying to be able to shut down all coal power uh, plants and then severely limit uh, all the base power that we actually get from natural gas. And I look at it and I think, okay, where are your electric cars going to come from? Where's all electricity going to come from? They don't run on pixie dust. They actually have to have power behind it. And uh, and so just putting these very unrealistic numbers out, that will definitely drive up the cost of electricity Uh, again for everyone. It's just like he puts these things out, like, I want to get out of Afghanistan. I don't care how we do it. Biggest embarrassment in our history. I don't like Donald Trump's policies at the border. They're too harsh. Uh, So let's change it. What could go wrong? Obviously, what can go wrong? We have got 1.3 million people here already in this fiscal year. They say 500,000 gotaways already. We're averaging 10,000 a day at the border coming in illegally. Now we have the chaos of the Lone Star team uh, for Texas getting ahead of the Border Patrol and putting out razor wire to stop the influx of illegals. Have you ever seen anything like this? States battering the federal government, countering it? Yeah, I've never seen anything like this. It's literally states along the border, both Arizona, Texas, everyone along the border and border communities all the way, trying to find some way to do the federal government's job because they've just got total chaos. They're literally the federal government. There's so many people that are coming across the border now that they're allowing in that they're doing what they call street releases now. Uh, that is, they're barely processing people and just releasing them in the street. No transportation, nowhere to go. Many of the border communities are very small communities, and they now have thousands of people. People that are just showing up on the streets with no way to get out of town and no direction to be able to go. And so they're, they're creating an a, a even worse crisis along the border. And, of course, it spills over because you've got all these migrants that are coming in. So it attracts all the Border Patrol to be able to manage it. And the cartels are then able to take advantage of that to be able to get more drugs in through other areas of the border. So we're seeing a dramatic spike in drugs. You made the most sense over the weekend when you brought up the fact that when it comes to the debt ceiling, this administration, administrations deal all the time. And last time, Trump did it twice. In order to raise the deficit, he had to increase domestic spending. He had to delay these Obamacare taxes that would have hurt them politically. Here's the president yesterday, cut 11, cut, excuse me, 31. There's a very extreme wing of the Republican Party. And the House representatives referred to themselves now. I've been calling them this for a while, but now they refer to themselves as the MAGA Republicans. And they've taken control of the House. They've taken control. They have a speaker who has his job because he yielded to the, quote, MAGA element of the party. They're doing the best, to the best of my knowledge, what no other political party has done in the nation's history. They're literally, not figuratively, holding the economy hostage by threatening to default on our nation's debt. You want to inject some reality? I, I do. It, it is as if President Biden doesn't think anyone knows how to use the Internet uh, just to be able to do some most basic research. Remember Nancy Pelosi, not that many years ago, demanded from President Trump that he dramatically increased spending or she would not raise the debt ceiling. So in 2017, Chuck Schumer came out and said the debt ceiling gives us leverage as Democrats with uh, with the Trump White House, uh, that we can use our leverage to be able to get what we want. President Biden, uh, during the Bush administration voted against debt ceiling increases that were clean debt ceiling increases because President Bush would not increase taxes at the same time. Uh, It is just a disconnect from reality and a basic, basic search of the Internet, and you can get all the different debt ceiling negotiations that have happened over the decades. The reason we have a debt ceiling vote at all is because it forces a moment for Congress 
to be able to talk about debt and deficit and to say, what are we going to do about this? Uh, so it is designed to be something that we actually negotiate on. It's an entirely reasonable thing for Republicans to say, we're dramatically overspending as a country. The whole country knows it. Let's talk about how we're going to reduce spending. And Brian, they're not even asking, the House is not asking for something crazy. The, the administration keeps saying they're, they're slashing everything. They're saying, let's do last year's budget again. Let's just keep that number and do that. So it's a gentle decrease in spending when this administration wants to spend trillions more. They've said, let's go back to September spending. The country ran on last year on September spending. Let's do that again, and we'll be able to maintain a, a at least a slowdown of our spending. So they're not looking for draconian cuts. They're looking for some kind of reasonableness and some way to be able to turn the direction around in our spending. And instead, he says, since you said generally let's go back, he'll just randomly say, you want to cut law enforcement. You want to cut veterans benefits. Yep. You want to cut Medicare. That's not written, but he goes, but unless you would say specifically, he'll just pick randomly. So I want to get so much more. For example, Alejandro Mayorkas, to be insulted by those comments of Westchester County yesterday, you also got to be insulted by Mayorkas. He says the border problems is because of Congress. Cut 16. I cannot overemphasize that our current situation is the outcome of Congress leaving a broken, outdated immigration system in place for over two decades, despite unanimous agreement that we desperately need legislative reform. It is also the result of Congress's decision not to provide us with the resources we need and that we requested. What is he, ta- what is he talking about? Because there's no comprehensive immigration reform. You can't enforce the, bo- the laws on the books. Yeah, you can look at uh, the number of people that illegally crossed the borders in the Trump administration and the people that illegally crossed the border in the Biden administration and say there's the exact same law in place, two very different results of what's actually happening with enforcement. Enforcement does matter. In day one of this administration, they said, we're not going to build a wall. Uh, they're going to stop all of that. They're going to take the funding that would have been for the wall, and they're actually going to use that to facilitate people coming across the border. They're going to be, quote, unquote, compassionate and not mean like Trump. And what, what happened then? is the cartel said, thank you very much, and they just started shipping us millions of people coming across the border so they could make a profit, and they pushed people across the border, and this administration continued to deal with it. The authorities that they have in place right now to deal with asylum, they should have already used. They've chosen not to use those. Now they're saying, well, we think we're going to actually use those asylum authorities now. Well, good, except it's literally the last day, and there's total chaos at the border at this point. So there are things that do need to change in law. He's not wrong about that to be able to strengthen this. Democrats have been unwilling to be able to do a strengthening of the of the border laws, but there are things that the administration can do right now. Yesterday, there's a press conference at 9 a.m. Eastern time, at which time the, the James Comer Oversight Committee outlined the nine family Biden members who are benefiting from foreign money. Hunter Biden, James Biden, the brother, Sarah Biden, Haley Biden, Melissa Cohen Biden, the grandchildren, Kathleen Buell and uh, Biden's niece or nephew and nephew. So they're all benefiting from a family business that was transacting with companies in Kazakhstan, Romania, Russia, China. So he's seeing all this and the bank records and he put it out there for everyone to see. And people are not covering it. They're ignoring it. Here's a little from James uh, Comer last yesterday. Cut one. The committee is concerned by the complicated, suspicious network of over 20 companies. We have identified the Bidens and their associates 
used to enrich themselves. Most of these companies were limited liability companies formed during Joe Biden's vice presidency. The bank records show the Biden family, their associates, and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their companies. So people say, well, where's the Joe Biden tie? Does this bother you, Senator Langford, the revelations that are coming out? No, it, it absolutely bothers me and should bother everyone. And again, the, the media is going to look at this the same way they looked at the uh, Hunter Biden laptop story right before the election. They're going to say nothing to see here. It's probably propaganda. It's Russian. They're going to say whatever and ignore it until it reaches a point that there's so much evidence there that they can't ignore it anymore. So that that's this is the beginning point of it. And uh, what the House is putting out is saying there's something that smells like fire here. We should all look at this when they see smoke and think there may very well be fire. And uh, to be able to follow through on it, while the media can ignore it for a few days, it won't take long before people start to say, "Okay, there's there's so much evidence here. It has to be addressed. You think so? Because I'm looking at The New York Times House Republicans report finds no evidence of wrongdoing by the president. Uh, (laughs) Comer investigation of Biden relative swings and misses on allegations of influence peddling. I'm, I'm my my head is spinning on this. It's day one. It, it's day one on the release on that. And again, as as the evidence continues to be able to build and as more and more information continue to come out, there'll be more and more questions that the administration won't be able to answer. Truthfully, uh, they'll have to be able to answer and say, here are the facts, what's actually happening. So we had a whistleblower step forward and say uh, the Biden family is benefiting from this influence and this proof. I spoke to the FBI, they say, I don't say it, he or she, and I, I gave it to them. And they wrote it down in an FD-1023 form. It's used by the FBI to record unverified reporting by a confidential human source. They wanted, so Senator Grassley, as reputable as it comes, asked for it. You know what the FBI said? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he'll get it. Again, the Judiciary really? Committee, uh, that, that's, the, that's where uh, Senator Grassley's coming from on that. They will, they will continue to be able to push until they get access to it. This, again, is the stall tactics of this administration. Everything but that it's we the FBI. Them, they're they're like, not no. supposed to be with this administration. That's supposedly. Uh, so we, we will walk through this process, and I will tell you uh, the same thing on the Intelligence Committee uh, that I serve on. Uh, when all of the data came out that the Bidens had classified information uh, it parked next to his Corvette in his garage, and they found some in the in the Trump uh, house, and they found some with, uh, in Pence's office. We asked to be able to see those documents and to be able to work through the process. And they're like, yeah, it's an investigation. We're like, well, we're the Intelligence Committee. These are documents. It's been a bipartisan effort for once. Uh, shocking as that may seem to be able to push back in, we're getting access to those documents. But it's a long push that you just can't give up on. This administration is notorious for saying, no, not going to do it, and they're going to wait and see if Congress is going to continue to press. If we continue to press, we'll get it. Lastly, uh, the president did a town hall on CNN. They have no respect for him. Uh, he's a, and in fact, a lot of people couldn't even rationalize why they would interview a former president that's leading the, for the Republican nomination, which boggles my mind. The biggest question facing you guys is uh, on, abortion, on abortion. And it is uh, a Roe v. Wade overturned, but all the states seem to vary on how many weeks, if any. Here's the president, the former president on that question. Cut 25. How do you plan to appeal to women voters in New Hampshire who are concerned about the Dobbs decision and how states may change their laws? It's such a great question. And it was such a great victory. And uh, people are starting to understand it now. 
you know that they wanted to bring it back to the states, but that was probably the least important part of that victory. Getting rid of uh, Roe v. Wade was an incredible thing for pro-life because it gave pro-life something to negotiate with. Pro-life had absolutely nothing being stuck in Roe v. Wade to negotiate with. But, Mr. Maybe. President, can we talk about what you would do if no, you are No, but these are the radical people. It's not the pro-life people that are radical. But if you are re-elected and you're back in the Oval Office and you get legislation to your desk, would you sign a federal abortion ban into law? Uh, what I'll do is negotiate so that people are happy. What is the right answer? What do you think of the president's answer? Well, again, he's getting pressed. I wish they would give him time to actually answer the question to be able to walk through that. That'd be the first thing to be able to do is every state is now having a debate. California saying they want to do abortion all the way up until the second of birth. Uh, my state in Oklahoma and several other states have said we want to. We think all children are valuable. We don't think some children are disposable and some are valuable. We think every child is valuable. And so every state is having that argument now. There's still an argument that's happening nationally as well among the House and the Senate here to be able to determine what's the right level. For instance, we went back years ago, and we as a nation outlawed partial birth abortion. Everyone looked at that process and said, this is so horrific. This is so terrible. We should not have partial birth birth abortion. That was a fight for years to finally get to that. And now it's settled. We're going to have that same kind of argument for several years on what is the level nationally on how far is too far on abortion. Senator, thanks so much. Man, uh, we covered a lot of ground and we still left a lot in uh, in the locker room. Senator James Langford, thank you. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it was a profoundly irresponsible decision. I don't think that it would, I would be doing my job if I did not say that. Um, And what we saw tonight was a series of extremely irresponsible decisions that put a sexual abuse victim at risk, that put that person at risk in front of a national audience, and I could not have disagreed with it more. It was shameful. So they said that decision, AOC says the decision for CNN to put the front runner for the party nomination for president of the United States was a big mistake. I, I can't believe that school of thought, but most everything she says, I feel the exact opposite. So now I know I'm on the right side. What they did is they had an opportunity uh, to broaden their audience and treat them with respect. You can say whatever you want. Obviously, he could say whatever he wants, but there's a decorum to treating somebody, a human being, a CEO or an everyday person of the audience in a town hall with respect, and they just have no respect for him. And what they did after the interview was even more ridiculous. They talked about how he lies, he's ridiculous, can't be taken seriously, he's dangerous, he'll never win. Bottom line is, uh, he's beating the current president by seven or eight points. And you can never count on CNN to be fair and balanced with any front runner ever, it seems, on the right, especially Trump.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Congress, Republicans in Congress in particular, refuse. They literally refuse uh, to act. They refuse to come to the middle and meet us at the middle and come up with a real solution. What they have put forth thus far is going to make the situation at the, at the border worse. KJP embarrassing herself right in front of Air Force One, saying Republican Republicans in Congress are causing the mess of the border that's jeopardizing every major city, every border town, our country's security, and making a mockery of us around the world. But it's Republicans' fault. Does anyone buy that? Matt Whitaker joins us now, former U.S. Attorney General. Uh, Matt, welcome back. What's your thought about KJP's blame game? Well, uh, it's good to be with you today. The first thing I would say is I'm not sure she's a very credible voice uh, in in America right now. I mean, I just I feel like, you know, she's willing to say whatever it takes to get the White House to the next day. Uh, She's oftentimes, uh, you know, obviously lacks context and sometimes lacks facts uh, for her statements. And so I just don't think uh, not only is she not doing a good job, I don't think she's you know serving the American people. Uh, well, the thing is, at our border right now, they say without comprehensive immigration reform, you you can't enforce the border. That's not true. You guys had it doesn't matter who the, is in office. There are border restrictions in place, correct? Yeah, there are. In fact, uh, to illegally enter our country, uh, the first time is a misdemeanor. Uh, the, the second time and each next time is a felony. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, there are uh, obviously you can't file a bogus asylum claim. And that's one of the things we're seeing right now um, is a lot of bogus asylum claims. People who never qualify that are overwhelming the system. And, you know, we had it down to about 18 months between the time that somebody files for asylum and when they ultimately are adjudicated. It's now six years. And in some places uh, in bigger cities, it's up to 10 years. These people are in our country for 10 years before they're ever seen by a judge and their case is heard. And oftentimes, less than 10% of those cases are, are granted ultimately. So here's what Senator Marco Rubio sees it. Cut 18. The truth of the matter is only about 30% of the people or less are being turned away at the border. The rest are still getting in as is. That doesn't do anything about the huge surge of migration that's already there and present. That just threatens to overwhelm us. All of this is happening, by the way, because the perception and the reality that if you make it to the U.S. border and you cross over, your chances of getting to stay in the United States are very, very high, even with Title 42 in place. And and there's a a $2.1 million backlog of asylum cases. Is there is there is there a way to if you wanted to get rid of those? Is there a way to catch up? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the Biden administration is suggesting that they could put, put more judges. They'll hire more judges. Yeah. But if you don't have more ICE lawyers uh, to do those cases, then that's just a, that's a that's a false promise. I and mean, we've got to watch this shell game that the Biden administration is playing at the border. You know, we had it fixed. Let's let's be honest. We used all the tools uh, that were available to us, including uh, one of the things that the Biden administration is suggesting they're bringing back, which is if you didn't file for asylum, in the first country that wasn't your home country that you you encountered, then you can't file here in the United States. That's that you know that's one thing. Obviously, we had the Remain in Mexico policy, which was very successful. Yeah. Because to his point, these people know that if they get to the United States, then and they file a bogus asylum claim, oftentimes these claims are not ultimately granted. That they can remain in our country, and if they didn't weren't able to get that gold, you know that golden ticket to stay in the United States. 
and really and they get work permission after six months, then they wouldn't you know they wouldn't come here and they wouldn't file these claims uh, that ultimately won't be granted. Uh, Matt Whitaker, our guest. Matt, uh, yesterday a press conference just about twenty four hours from right now, James Comer announced mm-hmm. that about nine family members of the Bidens uh, did with about twenty different companies, five hundred one c threes. Uh, perhaps shell companies were able to do business with various countries from Romania to China in order to get at least $10 million. They said the investigation is just the beginning. Others say there's nothing here. There was a swing and a miss. I'm looking at, for example, what the New York Times says. House Republican report finds no evidence of wrongdoing. Time magazine, Comer investigation on Biden relative swings and misses. Matt, do you see a problem with what you've learned so far? Yeah, I do. I mean, obviously, this was a um, a very clear uh, corruption uh, issue. We had, you know, the sitting vice president whose family members were exploiting his position of power uh, to line their own pockets. And, and, you know, obviously, if the last name was different, we all know that this case, the, the media would be much treated much differently. Uh, but under, you know, President Trump's administration, his kids didn't do any of these types of, uh, you know, foreign entanglements. Uh, and and to, to suggest that somehow that while, you know, Joe Biden's vice president and his family's getting rich, that, that just because he didn't know what was going on, that somehow he's insulated uh, from any liability or responsibility for that, I think is, is a little um, naive. Uh, and, you know, the news media, remember, they're just right now a propaganda machine for the administration. You know, they, they can't be believed uh they just are whatever the official narrative is brian and it's you know it's i think i think the american people are you know not have either woken up to it or are waking up to it i know that you've been following this very closely but it's just you know these these money transfers and these shell companies the 20 llc's and nine family members who are all on the take uh from you know places as far as romania ukraine communist china uh you know not only should there be further investigation uh, but all these people need to be asked the question, were you a foreign agent and did you register? And I'm, I, I know the answer to that is, they, is the answer is no, they didn't register as foreign agents. And Paul Manafort basically was in solitary confinement because he was actually working overseas, came back to work with Trump and uh, for a brief period of time and almost paid for it with his freedom. So Nancy Mace is one of the people doing the investigating. Cut 13. We showed facts. The media wants to ask, well, where's the evidence? Well, we showed evidence today in the House Oversight Press Briefing. At the end of the day, the American people need to know that our country is not for sale. We're talking about millions of dollars from communist China, millions of dollars from Romania and other adversarial countries going into the bank accounts through shell companies of Joe Biden's son, his brother, his grandchild, his nieces and nephews, current wives, ex-wives. And no one was ever registered as a foreign agent. There's no purpose for dozens and dozens of shell companies. There's no purpose for these millions of dollars. And if the far left is going to say, well, no one is above the law, well, put your money where your mouth is and have this investigated to the fullest extent of the law. So he might have used pseudonames, the big guy, Celtic, uh, mm-hmm. in the past. But they never did. They, they did a good job not saying, hey, Dad, uh, brother, grandpa, here's the money you want. It's not that flagrant. So you're a legal guy, Matt. So what exactly, if I said I have to charge somebody in this case, what would you tell me? That right now Joe Biden can't be charged, right? Well, yes. Uh, You know, the the real question, Brian, is why is the FBI uh, and the Department of Justice so slow 
to investigate and potentially bring charges against Hunter Biden and maybe others. And yet they can do the George Santos investigation with lightning speed. Uh, it, it is amazing how quickly they will go after Republicans and conservatives and Trump supporters. But at the same time, if you're you know, left wing or if you're Joe Biden's family, or if you support Joe Biden, they, they just they stumble over themselves uh, to ultimately even, you know, have an investigation continue. And, and, you know, the political interference that's happening from as high up as Merrick Garland, I think, is, the, is one of the most concerning things. He's putting his thumb on the scales of justice. And, the, you know, the mainstream media doesn't seem to care much at all. So the, this whistleblower figures into this case. He has come forward uh, in the Senate side with stunning claims that the FBI has a document detailing alleged cash for access criminal scheme involving Joe Biden and an unnamed foreign national when he was vice president. Senator Chuck Grassley was approached with this, so he wants the form. It's called an FD-1023. The FBI came back and said, no, I don't think so. It's used, uh, they say, and you know this, but for our audience, used to, for unverified reporting by a confidential human source. Documenting the information does not validate it, establish the credibility, or weigh in against this information. Uh, it's not verified by the FBI. And because I guess it's not verified, the FBI is using that to give the Heisman to the House Republicans and to Senator Grassley? Yeah, and I think this is very dangerous that the FBI... Uh, is not giving a legitimate oversight uh, documents to the Congress. And, you know, Senator Grassley is my home state senator, and, you know, nobody's suggesting that he is anything but uh, above board when it comes to his, you know, asking questions, especially when it relates to whistleblowers. Uh, but in this case, you know, the FBI has information that they don't want the American public to know. And that, to me, uh, is starting to sound like a cover-up. You know, the American people can handle whatever this information is. They can understand the context. That And they can also understand if the FBI didn't try to verify it. Like, remember, uh, you know, they well, remember what they did to Justice Kavanaugh. Sure. Let's, you know, let's go back then and how they they've bent over backwards to verify that information to find out, you know, whether those allegations are true. But somehow they don't have any interest when it comes to Joe Biden. So bizarre. And then I guess if you're a Republican, this is what people when I go into everyday life and you talk to people, whether it's at a bar or in the street, they'll say, how come there's never any consequences? I, I mean, the double the way the rest of the media ignored this story and there's no consequences, even when you get to the bottom of it. I guess the only consequences would be the independent, uh, undecided voter saying this bothers me as opposed to seeing someone arrested. Yeah, Brian, I think that the American people uh, need to understand the power they have, that these uh, elected politicians, whether in the House, the Senate uh, or the president, uh, report to the American people, and they are accountable to us. And if we don't like what they're doing, then we can use the power of our vote and the power of persuasion with our fellow citizens uh, to vote these bums out. Because I mean, you know, if we this this Joe Biden family corruption uh, is is only, we're only at the tip of the iceberg here. You know, this has been uh, rattling around, but now we're finally seeing the transactions and the millions of dollars being. Uh, laundered through these LLCs into the pockets of, you know, his grandchildren, his children, his, 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 in, you know, his, his daughters-in-law. Uh, it's, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it's shocking, but not surprising. And I think that's what the sad thing is. All right, Matt, uh, let me ask him, if Trump wins, do you expect to go back? You know, I have endorsed President Trump. I'll see him on Saturday at a rally in my home city, my, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. And, uh, 
you know, obviously the president of the United States asks you to do something, you salute the flag and you say, of course, but, you know, those discussions are way premature. I'm just, you know, I'm obviously, I'm glad to be a private citizen right now. Are you, <laughs> enjoying my life. You were an offensive lineman, right? I was a tight end. I was a running tackle, pretty much. Are you a good blocker? Because the president needs yeah. someone to block. Yeah. <laughs> that was my main job was to block. Uh, <laughs> but I did catch, I caught a few passes. But Understood. A very important role. Uh, so, Matt, I look forward to it. We're gonna, I'm doing One Nation that night, so we're going to be covering that rally. Uh, so, I look, are you going to be speaking? Uh, I'll be in the pre-program, uh, and then uh, I'll be there uh, in the front row with my dad and some friends. All right. Uh, Iowa first. Last night was New Hampshire. Uh, Matt Whitaker, thanks so much. All right, my friend. Good talking to you, Brian. All right. Matt Whitaker, uh, on the move, maybe going back to Washington. Uh, the president's up by about seven points head-to-head with Biden in the ABC poll. As we did by beating Ron DeSantis about 21 points in the last poll I saw. Still early. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your phone calls in just a moment. one 408 Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Why did you take those documents with you when you left the White House? I had every right to under the Presidential Records Act. You have the Presidential Records Act. I was there and I took what I took and it gets declassified. Uh, Biden, on the other hand, he has 1,850 boxes. He had boxes sent to Chinatown, Chinatown, where they don't speak even English in that Chinatown we're talking about. Can I, I, I got to right Nobody talks there about because... him. They talk about us. Uh, just so you understand, I had every right to do it. I didn't make a secret of it. So he went on to say, and what the president said is Chinatown, uh, the former president said, and they're absolutely right. So they were very accusational, was uh, Caitlin Collins, all over him. The Mar-a-Lago thing is a thing of controversy. He understood it. But what she did not acknowledge is what he was saying. There were boxes. They took 1,200 boxes from the University of Delaware. What's in them? We don't know. They don't leak it. What happened to the University of Pennsylvania? How many more documents? What was in them? When they found him at the Corvette, what do you say that Joe Biden's been transparent? He held him for years. Some of this dates back to when he was senator. How do you say he's being transparent? They had to go into his house and grab it. He didn't turn them over. He said, yeah, go check around. They found stuff. And then they went to his lawyer's office in Boston and in Chinatown. Evidently, there was some of his documents where I don't know the details of it were there. So if she just acknowledged yeah, that's really disturbing. They did go to the University of Delaware. They did pull out all those documents. And, you know, just and they never raided his house. They said they're going in. They gave him plenty of notice to move stuff around if there was a reason for it. Right now, I know even Senator Warner saying, I'd like to find out what was in Trump's place. I want to find out what was in Biden's possession. We don't know details of, of Pence either. That, to me, was an opportunity to be fair. Mr. President, I don't understand why you'd even want this trouble. If you're running for president again, why would you even want the trouble of taking records? What was the reason for it? And they say, well, when he acknowledges that Biden did the same thing, go, yeah, there was a lot. And we don't know the details. And they are, this guy, Jack Smith, is investigating you. How about this question? You could be looking at two more indictments. How much does it cost you? And do you think it's going to cost you the nomination? And he's going to say, my number's improved. He's like, but... If you don't make that call and you don't take these documents, you could focus solely on the campaign trail. Are you making more trouble for yourself than you have to? Let alone the comments you made about the defamation trial you just went in. If you didn't comment on the accusation, there would be no defamation. There would have been no trial in New York City, which clearly hate you. 
that would have been an opportunity to say, yeah, I was tough with the president, but I let him talk. Why? Because he's a candidate for president. Everyone deserves a chance to say their part. By the end of it, my sense is Caitlin Collins was told he's getting the better of you. Stand up for the last five minutes and just go after him. And that's what I that's what I felt like I witnessed. Now, I don't love a lot of Trump's answers, but he doesn't live to please me. Number one, when asked, who do you want to see win the war, Russia, Ukraine? He should say Ukraine. But, you know, in Trump's mind, he's thinking about the negotiation. If I say I'm pulling for Ukraine, I can't be a fair negotiator. And what did he say prior to that? He said, I could end this thing. But if he shows clearly who he's pulling for, he would not be able to end it. That's what he's saying. And what a follow-up would be for a guy like him would be, hey, Caitlin, if I come out and say I'm pulling for one guy or the other, how could I honestly be a broker to bring priests to that area? The problem with what the president said, it can't possibly happen. I would be able to end that war in 24 hours. The only way to end this conflict is for Russia to back right out. Maybe go to Crimea, hold on to Crimea. That would still be an issue. That That's the problem. That would be a normal follow-up that she would have probably said to Tim Scott, Joe Biden, Mickey Haley. What do you mean you can end the war? How could you end the war? They, the Russians have invaded and control 17% of the country. But one thing about Trump, hates war. Goes out of his way to say it. But as far as AOC is concerned, AOC says having Trump on is the problem. Cut 30. I think it was a profoundly irresponsible decision. I don't think that it would, I would be doing my job if I did not say that. Um, And what we saw tonight was a series of extremely irresponsible decisions that put a sexual abuse victim at risk, that put that person at risk in front of a national audience, and I could not have disagreed with it more. It was shameful. Well, what he, they asked him about the woman who accused him, and he says, I don't know her. I never met her. Think about this. Why would I go to a conference room? I have a tower across the street. Why would I go to a dressing room? Why would she bring me to a dressing room, the only one that was unopened? If that indeed happened. He has a, he has a, he wanted to get his side out. He didn't testify, and he did. How is that irresponsible? News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Mark Thiessen standing by, Cal Thomas, a deep thinker, syndicated columnist, author of a brand new book, A Watchman of the Night, what I've seen over 50 years of reporting uh, in America, concerned about the country, seen a lot up close and personal. Uh, He'll put it in perspective from his days covering Ronald Reagan to Bill Clinton on down. But let's start with Mark Thiessen. Mark, I'm sitting in a city right now that you would think would not understand what's going on at the border but we might understand it as well as El Paso, because everywhere I go, I see illegal immigrants walking the streets. Hotels have been converted, 122 so far. And now we have a situation where our mayor is fighting with our counties, suburban counties, because we have nowhere to put the illegal immigrants. Have you ever in all your years in and out of government seen anything like this? Well, so it's funny. So. 
he 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 first he was railing against uh, against Governor Abbott for sending the the uh, the migrants to him. Yep. And now he's doing the same thing to the county without telling them. <laughs> now, without asking, he's like, you you didn't ask us, you didn't prepare us. Like, uh, who asked you to send them here? And now he's doing exactly the same thing to these suburban counties uh, that are not part of New York City. They're they're they're. It's like it's like shipping them off to another state or something like that. I mean, it's just you know, it's the irony. I mean, I don't know. Did these counties declare themselves sanctuary cities nope. like New York? Nope. You know, I don't think they did. You know, they, they, I mean, he has no reason to complain. If you declare yourself a sanctuary city, then you shouldn't complain when people take sanctuary there. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, what's the point of being a sanctuary city if you're not providing sanctuary? What I think so, is the know, most significant is get this. I'm kind of trying to read between. I'm reading all his comments. And he's talking about 130 uh, emergency sites, a humanitarian relief centers, all co- costing billions. I mean, literally billions. Have a city like most is overdrawn, ridden with uh, overridden with crime. Here's what he said: In an effort to mitigate the risk and find room within our shelter system, the city has temporarily suspended the policy surrounding the timing for the placement into shelters. Not a decision I take lightly. We'll make every effort to get asylum seekers into shelter as quickly as possible, but we have no room. So wait a second. The buses are heading up from Texas. Counties won't take them. And we say there's no room at the end. What the hell is going on in our country? Yeah, maybe he should talk to Biden about about, uh, you know, about uh, securing the border. Here's here's the thing. He did, actually. Did he? And it got him kicked off his reelection committee, it seems. Oh, there you go. Well, good for him. Look, here's the thing. This is this this problem could be solved in two minutes in the first minutes for coffee. You go ahead and pass the bill that Tillis and Cinema have put forward, which is basically reinstating uh, Title 42, except without the health requirement. Exact same language. And then at least you and then at least you've you've, you've eliminated the cause of this surge. It still hasn't solved the border issue, but you're not going to have the surge you're having now because everybody's waiting for Title 42 to lift. Um, we shouldn't be depending on a public health ish, uh, measure to secure our border, but to the extent that it was like you know the finger in the dike that was preventing the 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 deluge, let's put a finger back in the dike at least until we can figure out the rest of it. But listen to who Mayorkas is blaming. Cut sixteen. I cannot overemphasize that our current situation is the outcome of Congress leaving a broken, outdated immigration system in place for over two decades. Just, is he kidding? Does he expect us to okay. buy that? Okay. So first of all, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have. You don't have an explicit rating like I do on my podcast, so I can't say what what came to my mind when when I heard that. But look, here's the thing: Joe Biden has the exact same laws on the books that Donald Trump had on the books, and that Barack Obama had on the books when they secured the border. You know, people forget he hasn't just reversed Trump's policies, though he has reversed Trump's policies like the remain in Mexico, the safe third party agreements, the deportation policy and all the rest of it. He's reversing Obama's policies. Obama, the left called Obama, they they castigated him as the deporter in chief because he deported three million illegal migrants during his presidency. Biden has brought that to almost zero. We're not do. We have the lowest levels of deportations in in history. Barack Obama, when he was president, doubled on his watch, doubled the number of prosecutions for illegal entry into this country. So if you come into the country and you get kicked out and you come back again, you can be prosecuted for illegal for illegal entry into the country. They've those have virtually stopped under Biden. 
So, I mean, it's it's not just you know the 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 it's not just the Trump policies he's eliminated. It's the it's the Obama policies, and the reality is it wasn't great under Obama, which is one of the reasons why Trump won. But it was a lot better than this, and he and he is he has the exact same tools at his disposal. And as for fixing the broader immigration system, I mean, look, I'm I am a person who believes that we should have zero illegal migrants coming in here and we should have a wide uh, a wide door welcoming legal migrants here in an orderly fashion and people yeah. that we choose to come Me into too. this country. I'm, I we we have a labor shortage in this country. We need migrants because they, because there are jobs that Americans are not doing and half the small businesses in the country can't find workers for open jobs. We need people in this country as long as they come in legally. You can't fix that until you secure the border. The, a secure border is a prerequisite for any kind of reasonable bipartisan immigration reform, or else Republicans will never go along with it, and they shouldn't. I'm Mark Thiessen, our guest. Mark, um, so it's just maddening. And the reason why I bring up this, this argument that's so frustrating to go over is because Title 42 is over now. And uh, they're going to use seg- uh, Title 8, and Title 8 is supposed to say if you come over illegally, the minute you ask, you're banned. But nobody thinks they're enforcing that. Plus, there's this rule if there's no room in these centers, they're allowed to drop these people off at bus centers, give them a little spending money, and then they go into the interior of the country. Some aren't even getting appearance tickets. So there's no other nation on the planet that would exist like this and permit this. Uh, And uh, the New York Times today goes out of their way to say, wonder why everyone's coming. Uh, Is it because of the pandemic? Communist regimes in Venezuela and Cuba? No. How many times do we need to say it? It's because word went out, for example, on TikTok. They even write it. There's a line that says, Title 42 is over. You will not be deported. Come to America. It's got 96 million views. That's the word on the street. Get your kids together. Send them by themselves if you want. But you will be allowed to stay if you get in. And they've done nothing to reverse that narrative. So, look, I've got no problem with Cubans and Venezuelans who are actually asylum seekers, who have have political reasons because of persecution of, the, of communist regimes or socialist regimes coming over here. I've got no problem with Ukrainians and Russians trying to flee their, their countries coming over here. We, that's why we have an asylum system. Eighty percent of the asylum claims are turned down eventually because they're not asylum seekers. They're abusing the asylum system. In, in, they're economic migrants. And they're use, and what they're doing is they are gumming up the asylum system for people, you know, for people, for, for example, the people we left behind in Afghanistan, who we abandoned yeah. with that disastrous withdrawal, who we should, who helped the United States. Those people can't get their asylum claims adjudicated, who are actually suffering the persecution of the Taliban or who are pro-American because you got a bunch of Central American economic migrants who are falsely claiming asylum in order to because they know that if they come in here it'll take four or five years to hear their case and by then they can just melt into society and and never leave so So, you know yeah if you care about refugees and if you care about true asylum seekers and think we should be a place where those people can come this you should be you should be for securing the border and stopping these people from abusing the asylum system and i just talked to someone from el paso serving the military today they say that he talks to everybody in el paso almost every day and he says a lot of them are, are they empty in their prisons. He says, I'm seeing the tattoos. I'm seeing the gang signs. I'm seeing the, the basic branding that they have. They're clearly empty in their prisons, a la Jimmy Carter, Fidel Castro. And there's no, there's no question about it. I'm not sure they've been rehabbed in a Venezuelan prison or if Cuba has a good program uh, to keep people out. Uh, but I'm not optimistic. 
I want to talk about what happened yesterday, almost 24 hours ago. James Comer called a presser, at which time he detailed the Biden family corruption. Cut four. We discovered that the president lied uh, when he said his family never got a penny from China. Uh, we proved that uh, statement false. Uh, we also proved that uh, money was transferred to the Bidens while Joe Biden was in office, while he was vice president. That's something the media has always said when they rushed to Joe Biden's defense. They said, well, none of the payments that the family received ever uh, were made while Joe Biden was in office. It was always in the four-year period between the vice presidency and presidency. And that wasn't true, especially with respect to Romania. 16 of the 17 payments from the Romanian foreign national that was later uh, convicted of corruption came while Joe Biden was vice president and actively talking about Romanian policy. So two headlines. New York Times, House Republicans report, finds no evidence of wrongdoing by the president. Time magazine, Comer investigation of Biden relatives swings and misses. You, what did Mark Thiessen get from the presser? So here's what I get. I get I, they didn't have a smoking gun, but they got a lot of but they, so they surfaced a lot of smoke. And here's the thing. They've now got receipts. This is this is what they did. What Comer did was very clever, which is instead of going through the front door and trying to subpoena the Biden family directly and having that kind of fight with the White House, he went through the back door and got all the banking records from all the associates. And so he was able to establish a money trail. And if there's nothing wrong here, if you know, if if, if Hunter Biden was a legitimate businessman doing providing a service to his clients, then why is there this web of 20 companies and and all these multiple bank accounts where this money is being filtered through before it gets down down a chain before it gets to nine members of the Biden family? Why why does that exist? If you're a legitimate businessman, what you do is you send them an invoice and they pay you directly. And it's all above board. I mean, even even Billy Carter did that with Libya, right? right. It's like they, they created a, a web of 20 different LLCs, all of these multiple banks, and created – I mean, it's very clearly it's money laundering. So, he, so he has, he's laid out clear evidence of money laundering. Um, what we haven't established is that as yet is that money going into the bank account of Joe Biden per se or being at that. But that doesn't mean it doesn't, isn't there. And the idea that this is a swing and a miss, this is just the first – this is just the beginning of the process. And why the hell is the New York Times not investigating this? I know. Instead of, instead of pissing all over Comer and the Republicans. If this, if this was not Biden, if this was the Trump family and nine Trump family members had, had received $10 million through a web of companies like this, the New York Times would be, get, would be reporting on it and they would have a Pulitzer Prize by now. And by the way, that's what Byron Donald says. I'm a financial guy. I cannot believe how complex this, uh, the, the, how complex these transactions were made to be. So to keep people off their trail, uh, there's nothing normal about this. And if you want a Pulitzer, go ahead and investigate this. It's there for you. We will help you. But Ian Sams, the White House spokesperson, said this. The Oversight Committee, Comer's loudly is proudly broadcasting a press conference to continue his long pattern of making absurd claims that President Biden made governing decisions not in the interest of America, but of China, using baseless claims, personal attacks, and innuendo to try and score political points. Oddly, he has been promising, then failing to deliver the press conference for weeks, raising questions about his shoot-first-figured-out-later approach. So, Ian Sams. Not denying that it's about the transaction, not saying Joe had nothing to do with the transaction, because very well, there's already shown I knew nothing about my son's overseas business dealings. It's a flat out lie. Yeah. 
Uh, you're absolutely right. But you know, you know where I would have liked to hear about both of these topics we've discussed. I would have liked to hear it from T- Donald Trump last night on CNN. <laughs> but he didn't talk about that. Well, he would have had to have segued, no doubt, and which is doable. But they didn't say, "Hey, what about the Comer investigation of President Biden?" But as soon as they brought up anything with him in Mar-a-Lago, he could say, "You know, I'm just shocked that you have not asked me anything about what the Bidens were up to." Exactly. I mean, this is, you know, it was, you know, this is, this is the Joe Biden wants this election to be about to, to not talk about any of this. He doesn't want to talk about his corruption. He doesn't want to talk about his border disaster. He doesn't want to talk about his economic disasters. He doesn't want to talk about the crime wave in our cities. He doesn't want to talk about anything like that. He wants it to be a referendum on Donald Trump. And based on you know, last night, Donald Trump wants it to be uh, the same thing. Uh, you know, we, this is this is the wor- he is the worst president in my lifetime. He is actually, if you go to the 538 average. And where they go, they go back. They'll take you like it's day eight thirty nine of his presidency, where every president in the history of Poland was at that point. And Joe Biden right now is the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling, except for Jimmy Carter at this point in his presidency. There is no reason why we should not be talking about that nonstop and the reason for that nonstop. And I'm, I, you know, I, I don't give a rat's ass about the twenty twenty election. I want to win the twenty twenty four election. Right, and that's what they wanted to talk about. First fifteen minutes was all about well, January sixth. Talk about that's what he wanted to talk about. He was he was he was a he wasn't baited into that. He he had he had prop. He had his he had his like list of, of quotes from 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 January sixth. He he walked. He, that's what he wanted to talk about too. He's, In a way, you know, I, I'm fifty fifty on that. I think that he just knew they were going there because that's all CNN ever does. They talk about January sixth, so he wanted to try to correct the record. Since when does Donald Trump talk about what Donald Trump doesn't want to talk about, <laughs> no well, matter what he's asked? <laughs> well, that's, but one thing about him, because we got spoiled, he'll talk about anything. Remember, go, 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 yeah. as he walks yeah. up and down the line and told no. his press secretary, no more press conferences, I'll handle it. He, he, that, that, was, that, was, that was a three-alarm dumpster fire last night. If, that's, if that is the conversation going into the, 2020, into the 2024 election, then we're going to get ready for four more years of Joe Biden. No, no, he's learned no message discipline. He's learned nothing from from the from the reason why he lost the 2020 election. I I, I love the man. I love I love his I love his record. Uh, but you know he didn't talk about his record. <laughs> he didn't talk about Joe Biden's record and his record and putting them side by side and say which do you want. He just was he just the the number one word. If he did a word a word cloud of that press conference, the number one word would be rigged. Right. Uh, that be, the, She kept asking him that, though, too. And he kept answering. Right. <laughs> I, I, would, you, I would say this. I thought CNN. You know I know you, blew, Caitlin, I know you want to talk about 2020, but I'm here to talk about 2024. I know you want to talk about me. I'm here to talk about Joe Biden and the disasters he's unleashed on the American people and on the people in this room. And I wonder so why you, wonder why you don't do that. That's what we're talking about today. That would have been great. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, that would have been great. <laughs> But I will say this. I think CNN missed a huge opportunity. They hate him so much, they will not give him a fair shot. And the thing oh, is, no he is the front runner, and, uh, no and the hate that they have is unbelievable. Mark, always great. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, Brian. And check out Mark's uh, podcast. It's great. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
So uh, we're going to have Cal Thomas coming on shortly, a man that was a great perspective on uh, politics today, conservative politics today, the bias in the media that he's existed, seen existence in the 1980s uh, up till today, more traditional politicians back then, perhaps. And the one thing I really enjoyed that he pointed out that I wish more people would is that we live in a time in which we keep on trying to make friends with our enemies by putting our hand out for peace as if they have the same code of ethics. But you know who doesn't? Our enemies. The Soviet Union could only respect strength. The only thing we could do is not talk peace, show how strong we were, and that would back them off. It's got to be the same concept with China. But yet, the administration submitted a defense budget which showed a decrease. Yet, I'd argue that now our, our, our world is much more dangerous than it was when we had the Cold War. Think about it. We had the Soviet Union with a bad economy. Uh, with uh, with a was a dying society that was going out of their way to suppress their neighbors and trying to keep their lid on a cauldron uh, called the Warsaw Pact, and now you have China, a thriving economy, a bustling military, whose goal is to fight us economically on every single continent, and Russia is emerging, with Iran clearly forming an alliance. Are we ready for that challenge? Cal Thomas next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's a very extreme wing of the Republican Party, and the House of Representatives referred to themselves now. I've been calling this for a while, but now they refer to themselves as the MAGA Republicans. And they've taken control of the House. They've taken control. They have a speaker who has his job because he yielded to the, quote, MAGA element of the party. They're doing the best, to the best of my knowledge, what no other political party has done in the nation's history. They're literally, not figuratively, holding the economy hostage by threatening to default on our nation's debt. So for him to say that is ridiculous because the debt ceiling, for as long as I can remember, has always been a point of negotiation. Brinksmanship and negotiation. In fact, he was asked this at his press conference Senator uh, Joe Biden was, and he said, you know, you've dealt with this before. You, what do you mean you're not, you don't want to deal with Republicans? He goes, well, I was told the very last minute that I was requested to go over and uh, deal with Republicans and come up with some compromise to raise the debt ceiling. So you did it. So he contradicted his own statement, saying the Republicans are the first to ever hold the economy hostage. No, the debt ceiling traditionally has been a time for negotiation. Cal Thomas knows all this firsthand and personal. He's got a brand new book that chronicles his career. It's called A Watchman in the Night. What I've seen over 50 years uh, reporting on America, uh, syndicated columnist and author himself. Cal, welcome back. Brian, it's so good to be on with the best ad libber on Fox. I'm telling <laughs> you, I am your tallest fan. <laughs> That's true. You are my tallest fan. Uh, and with that ad libber, I'm going to save that for Gutfeld. All right. So he hears a real expert give a real review. Cal, uh, first up, book is great, chronicling whatever. It reminds me, something seemed. Uh, uh, with the good old days, and some seem like it's still happening. First off, I don't know how much of that soundbite you heard, but Joe Biden is proclaiming that we've never had a situation where we negotiated on a debt ceiling. Could you re- could you rattle his memory a little? Yeah. 
Well, the whole idea of a debt ceiling is a joke if you're going to keep raising it every time we come up against it. Uh, the narrative is completely false. The federal government takes in more money than it's ever taken in history. And Ronald Reagan used to say we have a debt not because the American people are taxed too little, but because their government spends too much. Uh, look at the Democrats. They can't cut a single dollar from a $31 trillion debt, so they have to lie about how uh, the Republicans want to cut Social Security and veterans' benefits. We've heard this garbage for four decades or more. They run the same play all the time. It's like Lucy and the football. It's all lies. They're spending us into oblivion. No nation has ever been able to sustain itself with this level of debt. And yet you explain to the American people some of these programs are not sustainable and they want to say, oh, you don't like old people if you cut Medicare or Social Security. You're not cutting. You're rearranging to make it solvent. And yeah, by the way, well, Senator yeah, Langford yeah. was just on with me and I asked yeah. him about, is it true that Trump raised a debt ceiling? He goes, yeah, this is what he recounted. Remember Nancy Pelosi, not that many years ago, demanded from President Trump that he dramatically increased spending or she would not raise the debt ceiling. So in 2017, Chuck Schumer came out and said the debt ceiling gives us leverage as Democrats with uh, with the Trump White House, uh, that we can use our leverage to be able to get what we want. President Biden, uh, during the Bush administration, voted against debt ceiling increases that were clean debt ceiling increases because President President Bush would not increase taxes at the same time. So that was just happening. Why would a guy like Joe Biden at the age of 80 expect us not to understand that he was directly involved in this, which you find uh, ridiculous that we're raising the debt ceiling anyway? Well, well go yeah, ahead. Well, but we don't pay any attention to history anymore or history, depending on how you view things. Uh, we have to be involved between elections, uh, Brian, you can't get in shape by watching an exercise video. You got to go to the gym and you can't preserve a constitutional democratic republic without being engaged. Reagan, again, used to say we're only one generation away from losing it all. We can't keep spending like this. Maybe the left, which uh, c continues to support abortion, will solve the Social Security problem by uh, euthanizing older, older people. <laughs> uh, if the Chinese didn't do enough of that with their pandemic. Uh, really? Cal, talk about your career a little bit. So you get into this uh, and you said that people told you right off, you know, there's a bias in the media and you were slow to understand that. But you quick, what, what brought you to the fact that there was a bias in the media and your voice would be extremely important? Well, when I started out as a copy boy, an old term at NBC News in Washington, when I was 19, 20 years old, uh, I was surrounded by real journalists. These were men and later women who came from newspapers or wire services and who knew how to write and they could write their own stuff. I, I didn't know any blondes at the time, but that's another issue. Uh, and slowly, slowly, I mean, I knew that they were probably Democrats, but they were fair. I think David Brinkley had the best line at the time. He said it's impossible to be objective, so we must try to be fair. Well, all of that has gone out the window now. There are no, not just opinion pages in the New York Times and Washington Post. The entire newspapers are opinion, the way they slant the coverage, the way they apply labels to conservatives and don't. The way I did this was to go out on the lecture circuit around the country, and I would ask 
how many people subscribe to your local paper? And usually fewer than half did so. And I say, why not? And they'd say, well, I never see anything reported in there that I agree with. They, they label me as an extremist or whatever. I said, how many would subscribe if my column was in there? And everyone raised their hands. I said, okay, tomorrow morning, you call the publisher, not the editor. The publisher holds the purse strings. And you say, you'll subscribe to the paper if they carry me. And that's how I built the column into uh, 500 newspapers at its height. And, uh, and and went on from there. So I didn't take no for an answer. I joined some of their professional organizations. I met editors around the country. And uh, I encouraged people to subscribe to the paper if they carried me. I didn't ask them to uh, engage in fairness and balance. I asked them to uh, uh, gain more money. That seemed to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cal Thomas, our guest. Cal, the, you said, for example, the New York Times went out of their way to recruit William Sapphire to write a column. Why was that yeah. important then? Why, is, why isn't there not one now? Well, there isn't. I think, uh, you know, they, they live in an insular uh, empire. There was a columnist. There is a columnist currently for the Times uh, who I know, and I, he called me a year ago about something. And at the end of our conversation, he said, by the way, are you still writing your column? And I felt like saying, yeah, you're still writing yours. They only read each other's stuff. They only attend each other's social functions. Uh, they, they only praise you if you went to the so-called right universities, which they went to. So I think this is a very dangerous thing. Uh, this is the only business I know, Brian, that doesn't really care about what its uh, consumers or former consumers think. Imagine owning a gas station and having high prices, dirty restrooms, and bad lighting. And you have a competitor open across the street with lower prices, cleaner restrooms, and better lighting. You can either say, you know, I'm going to upgrade my gas station or go out of business. But with the media, the mainstream media so-called, they don't care. They don't care that they're losing customers. They don't care that they're losing advertisers. They don't care because they they only care about what they care about and not what the mass numbers of Americans care about. Do you think the Democrats and Republicans have changed uh, their approach? For example, I mean, I sometimes I'm maybe too close to it being on six hours a day. But when I see what is the rationale by opening up our border? What is the rationale by leaving Afghanistan the way it is? What is the rationale by supporting Ukraine but not giving the weapons to be successful? What is the rationale by ignoring that China has moved into Central and South America, meeting with the Brazilian president and not bringing up that he's trying to get off the dollar? I mean, some of this stuff is it's not even policy. It seems anti-American. Well, it is, Brian, and there are people in this administration and in the previous administration of Barack Obama who do not like this country, who think that we should be brought down. You remember Obama's apology tour and his uh, first uh, foreign speech in, uh, in Cairo, Egypt, where uh, he said uh, basically America had been uh, uh, guilty of too much hubris and uh, we're no better than any other country. Oh, really? Well, that's why is that uh, that so many people want to come here? So, you know, Susan Rice, who just left the White House and she was there under Obama and many others who have never ever been in the military. They've never had a real job. They've either had government jobs or been activists. They don't like this country and they're trying to take us down. The reason the border is open, I believe, is so that they can get more people in who will vote for Democrats, turn Texas uh, blue, and uh, Republicans will never win a presidential election again. I know that sounds conspiratorial, but what other reason could there be? I don't know. Uh, I will say this. Is that is that hypothesis blowing up because the Hispanic vote is growing for the right? 
Yes, I think that could be a, a double-edged sword for the Democrats. But, you know, the thing is, if you start addicting people to government programs, if you tell them you're going to get free education for your kids, you're going to get free hospital care, we're going to sign you up for Social Security, you're going to have a better life here, uh, then uh, they're going to say, hey, don't vote for those other evil Republicans because they're going to take all that free stuff away. Well, human nature being what it is, a lot of people would rather get a check than earn a check. And you mentioned Ukraine. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I watched that uh, uh, CNN thing last night with uh, with Trump, and I was I was kind of blown away that he he didn't say that uh, if he were elected president again that that his objective would be uh, victory, and he said he could end the war in 24 hours, but never said how. Uh, so I think you know the, I think Colin Powell was right. If you're going to commit American troops, American money, American prestige, anything, the the objective ought to be victory, and if it's not victory, then you shouldn't get involved in the first place. Yeah, we're talking to Cal Thomas. He's got a brand new book out. It's called The Watchman of the Night, uh, what I've seen over 50 years reporting in America. So uh, it's safe to a couple of things that you brought up that I think are different. You bring up in your book, Jerry Falwell and Ted Kennedy did a series of talks and debates, and they got to understand each other. And they have, even back then, guys with this experience go to this much, have this much education. The value of talking with people instead of speaking about them that still would work today. Is that the best thing we could possibly do to get us on track? Absolutely, Brian. I mean, we, we, are, we are a tribal nation now. We are a hyphenated nation, African-American, Hispanic-American, and all these other things. Uh, you may recall that uh, the late Bob Beckel and I did a column for USA Today for 10 years called Common Ground, and we would argue through things, but then we would say, okay, well, I could agree on this if you could agree on that. And, uh, but that kind of thing doesn't work anymore. Uh, the, the two parties have become so polarized that nobody wants to give a victory to the other side. And the whole thing about the other side, uh, you know, I used to say Bob Beckel was not on the other side. He was my fellow American. Both of our dads were in World War II. They weren't fighting for or against Franklin Roosevelt. They were uh, fighting to preserve an American ideal. Uh, but we've gotten away from all of that, and nobody knows anybody anymore. When I was growing up in Washington, D.C., uh, there were uh, socialites who threw uh, parties and would have Republicans and Democrats, liberals, conservatives, sports stars, judges come in, and people would get to know each other. Uh, Members of Congress brought their spouses to town and their kids, and they would have dinner with one another or socialize. Now they meet every morning separately, Republicans and Democrats on the Hill, get their talking points for the day, and go out and repeat them on television and to uh, newspaper reporters, and and nothing ever gets solved. The, The dirty little secret about Washington, Brian, is that if you ever solve a problem, you lose the issue. How cynical can you get? So interesting. Uh, I, I actually think that there was a I mean, I, I think when when Trump first got in, it was an interesting time the first few months because he yeah. said, hey, I've got to get this wall built. They walk in. You want to build your wall? He goes, yeah, I'll give you 25 billion. Uh, let's do immigration reform. He's like, let's just go do it. And then they quickly went in. Actually, it was General Kelly, chief of staff, came in and goes, no, Republicans will kill you. You'll never get reelected. You got to stop. It. And they stopped it. Now, that's probably not the t- traditional process, but you almost do need an outsider to say, I'm here to solve a problem. And what Reagan said, you know, if I can get uh, if I could get most of what I want, I'll go get it. Was it 70 percent of what I want? I'll go. I'll do it. I'll come back for the rest. I mean, we've lost that whole concept. 
Well, you're right about that. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the media are complicit in this, the so-called mainstream media, and uh, they don't want to find a solution either because it, it hurts ratings. You look at some of the guests that are on some of these programs. I remember some years ago I was invited to be on Good Morning America, and uh, they called me uh, late the day before and said, well, we've decided to go with somebody else. And I asked why. And the uh, booker said, uh, well, we wanted somebody a little edgier. So they didn't want somebody on there who could be a friend to Democrats uh. or they didn't want they didn't want somebody on there who would be reasonable or actually suggest a solution to the problem. They wanted somebody on there to say, you're ruining America. And the other guy says, no, you're ruining America. Well, you're a secular humanist. Well, you're a Bible thumping bigot. And the host says, and we'll be back with more civil discussion <laughs> after these messages. <laughs> Real Americans don't talk like that. But in the media, it is like that. Cal Thomas, congratulations on the book and your career. Keep writing. Keep talking. It's called A Watchman of the Night. Uh, to get a perspective on where we're at, uh, Cal goes back to Christianity, goes back to the Founding Fathers, and then brings us to today, puts it in perspective. Cal, thank you. Brian, you're the best. Thanks so much. Okay, and I'm going to keep that moment. I'm going to keep those words. Eric, if you don't mind, back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think the fair violation is the one violation that the White House does not want to see included. Because if you determine that Hunter Biden was an unregistered foreign agent, the question becomes, what was he a foreign agent for? It leads you directly into this influence peddling operation. I've been a critic of influence peddling for three decades. Um, I've never seen the like of the Biden family. Influence peddling is the family business for the Bidens. It always has been. The D.C. media tries hard to ignore it. But it's going to be hard to ignore if you have a FARA violation for him serving as an agent for a foreign interest. And the question then is, what is that foreign interest? That's what bothers me. So if you... People, you know, it was brought up the other night and people bring this up. Well, Jared Kushner, after he left uh, serving in the Trump administration, ended up getting some foreign deals. I think one's with Saudi Arabia. Okay, He was investment before. He was investment after. Investor after. They had a chance to see him up close and personal. And they said, I love this guy. They, They pulled off something called the Abraham Accords. Now Israel has recognized by about six Arab states if the Trump administration had won again, they probably would have finished off the whole Middle East. They got Sudan, too, but it sadly fell apart as this administration just let it fall apart, played no role. I don't know if it was possible or not. So I don't see any comparison. If I want to know what, what business Jared Kushner's in, he'd show me. Uh, yeah, I heard about the business deal. I read about it in the Washington Post. I saw it. I could text him, and he'd get back to me and goes, yeah, he doesn't have to give me the details. doesn't mean he sold America down the, down, down the toilet. For Saudi Arabia, no, we knew exactly what was going on. And now that he's alienated Saudi Arabia, how's that working for America? Why did he come into office and say he hated Saudi Arabia right away? Why did he come in and get rid of the Chinese initiative? Why did he say, uh, why was he unable to intimidate or, uh, or push back Russia to not invade Ukraine? Does it have anything to do with what he knew about the Ukrainian government? Does it have anything to do with his message with the billionaire oligarch from Moscow, the former mayor's wife? who ends up being a, uh, a billionaire who was not sanctioned after the invasion. The fact that I'm bringing up these questions because a group of politicians had to use their power 
to subpoena bank records is why people are so suspicious and why the rest of the media isn't curious about where this leads is insane, is incredible. My sense is Democrats will realize Joe Biden's shot. I don't care if he runs against Trump, he's going to lose. The people around him are terrible. His policies are so unpopular, it's scary. I think I'm going to start having the Washington Post and New York Times cover this. Suddenly, just like they suddenly realize the laptop is real. Remember that? Now we accept it. But when it mattered, they didn't. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. You want to put our history in perspective? Get any of my history books. I can personalize for Father's Day and Mother's Day. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where it is beautiful and sunny. Finally, uh, coming up this hour, we're going to be joined by the uh, prestigious Admiral James Chavitas, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, and Jeff Benedict. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't, I've been watching a lot of the NBA, maybe because the Knicks are good again. Uh, the Nets were solid, even though they traded oh, every superstar they had and some they would even thought about having. Jeff Benedict is uh, wrote a great book about LeBron. It's a bestseller already. And uh, the Lakers in the middle of a revival. Warriors just barely held on. Uh, in the best of seven, they still trail three games to two. We'll talk about the LeBron and why he's not loved. And uh, like you look like close to Jordan is, and the Suns' big pick. We'll talk about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three: Will you commit tonight to accepting the results of the 2024 election? Yeah, if I think it's an honest election, absolutely, I would. So not committing to accepting the 2024 election results or acknowledging what happened in 2020. Uh, Donald Trump uh, going at it with uh, Caitlin Collins, who they just say is going to get a primetime show. Uh, to me, it was just a lack of respect all around from the postgame to the pregame to the postgame to during the game. They don't respect him, even though he's leading in the polls, could be president again. They just don't respect him. We'll talk about number it. two. We are clear eyed about the challenges we are likely to face in the days and weeks ahead, which have the potential to be very difficult. We expect to see large numbers of encounters at our southern border in the days and weeks after May 11th. Really? You think so? You mean today? Buckling, bursting, breaking. The situation at our border has been so bad as we wave goodbye to Tile 42. I can't put it into words. Don't kid yourself. This is a Biden-made disaster. We break it all down and prepare for the worst. Number one. There doesn't appear to be any clean reason why all this money would be coming from Romania and China and wherever and being passed through these shell companies into the pockets of members of the Biden family. I don't get it either. Brit, Biden family business. Here we go. It's all exposed. Nine, nine Bidens, at least, raking millions through at least 20 separate companies. And we can't name a thing these companies did to earn it. Oh, wait, except perhaps the influence that Joe Biden has after spending 50 years in Congress, two, uh, four years, eight years as VP, and now three years as president. Let's discuss that because it's amazing. Everyone thinks it's a non-story. Look at Time Magazine. Look at the New York Times. Uh, all the networks avoided it last night. And whether you like it or not, uh, 50 million people, like 10 million to 20 million, watch those still nightly news at 6 o'clock. Not like it used to be because, because we have so many choices. 
But nobody picked it up. No one ran with it. But it doesn't mean there's a lot of substance. Now, Senior, Senator James Langford told me earlier, uh, an earlier portion of the show, don't worry about it. It's This is too big. No one can ignore it. It is just beginning. But Comer sat out there and said some pretty stunning things. The Oversight Committee Accountability Committee, uh, during the conference, uh, released this. 20 companies received more than $10 million from foreign nationals, including in China and Romania, while the president was vice president. Don't say it was the four years in which he was off. Well, he was vice president. Several of those entities, they're called Iwasco PC, called Hudson West Third or LLL, LLCC, uh, Robinson Walker, that's Rob Walker, the famed partner of Hunter, Rosemont Seneca, uh, Rosemont Seneca, the famous uh, company that he formed in around when he got the job on Burisma he was not qualified for, while his dad had the Ukrainian portfolio. Uh, they all accepted funds from foreign companies, ranging from 5000 to $3 million. And when it came to paying out, they were paying grandchildren who were still in their teens, not doing a, a, a blasted thing. Hey, we could all give money to people if you're lucky enough to have it. That's not what we're talking about. They're listed as, as recipients of cash from a, or wired from a company that they're doing business with, and we don't know what assets they bring to the table. How does that not concern you that the president's foreign policy could have, could have been affected? So Ian Sams of the White House, uh, who's their spokesperson on this matter, says the House Oversight Committee, Comer is loudly and proudly broadcasting a press conference that continues the long pattern of making absurd claims that President Biden has been governing decisions not in the interest of America but of the Chinese party uh, using baseless claims, personal attacks, and innuendo. Okay. He's used a code name called Celtic. Tony Bobulinski released paperwork that showed 10% for the big guy. It was generally known by Rob Walker and others the big guy was Joe Biden. Why does he have four houses? Why is he so rich? How does that make sense to you? Well, he saved his money, got some big investments, got in Yahoo early. I'm not sure. Here's more from Britt Hume, Cut 10. So it is a very suspicious set of circumstances that have been laid out here today, one worthy of further investigation. It's not clear how vigorously it's being investigated by the Justice Department, if at all now. And certainly the mainstream media, which under ordinary circumstances would be you know, licking their chops to pursue a story like this, is showing little interest at all. For now. But it's disturbing. And if you're going to say Donald Trump owns... You know, owns uh, well. Remember, he Donald Trump owns a golf course, I think, to Doral, and he offered to have one of the uh, one of these peace talks or a Vladimir Putin meeting or one of those meetings with foreign leaders at at his golf course. Go, oh, you cannot benefit. That'll make it more famous. It'll make it a historic site if you have the G seven there. Well, that'll make it a historic site. So we're not going to do that because Donald Trump owns. All right, okay. Well, Donald Trump was involved in Scotland. Is that going to skew his? He was for Brexit. Is that going to skew his decision making? Okay. I have an election. I make my decision. As I brought up the other day, I think Jamie Dimon, the more I hear him talk, I don't know him, I haven't interviewed him, but the more I hear him talk, I think this guy make a great politician because I like a guy that thinks economy first. I do, especially now. And he has all these world leaders and these contacts and J.P. Morgan Chase is involved in all these other countries, so he knows a lot of the leaders. And they might say, well, you have invest. He's got investments in Sweden. He's got investments in Norway. I mean, they, they had to pull out their investments in China, and now they're into uh, different companies in the Middle East, or they, they invested in oil in Saudi Arabia. Okay, I'll make my decision. Just let me know what you're invested in. Let me know who you know, and I'll make my decision. 
The bottom line is you had to wait for the House to get control in order to find out what Joe Biden is up to. And he's still giving us the Heisman on it. What are you denying? Just come out and say it. Don't lie and say, I know nothing about my son's overseas business dealings. So there was a whistleblower that stood up and came forward and approached Grassley and others and said, listen, uh, I've got proof that Donald Trump, excuse me, that Joe Biden's been involved in these corrupt business dealings, bribery. I said, okay. It came to them. They don't want to give up his identity. Obviously, it would blow up his life. They said, I suggest you ask the FBI who I sat down with for the FD-1023. Now, what does that mean to you or I? Nothing. But what does it mean to the FBI? This. FBI agents, if they can, can't verify a source but want to take down their opinion and their whistleblowing information, they take down an unverified reporting by a confidential human source documenting information that they do not validate or can't yet establish in credibility or weigh in against other information verified by the FBI. So if the FBI has verified information and a whistleblower comes forward and they can't prove the whistleblower, but they still want the person to come in, they take down a, a 1023. So they said to the so Senator Grass said, listen, FBI, I need it. The FBI on Wednesday missed the noon deadline. They provided a document allegedly linking Biden to cash for access. Grassley said, although the FBI failed to provide the document, they offered an accommodation process that indicates the document is real. The whistleblowers come forward with this stunning claim. The FBI has a document detailing alleged cash for access, a criminal scheme that the president of the United States is involved with. So these 1025 apparently detail this arrangement. The FBI confirmed to the Daily Mail that it provided a response uh, to the Republicans on Wednesday, but disputed Grassley's claim that approves the existence of the special document. They're not doing it. They're stiff-arming him. Chris Ray's ahead of it. They're not supposed to be playing politics. We know if you look at Peter Strzok and Andy McCabe, you know they're playing politics. We got all their text messages. No one's dissuaded of us of it. In fact, they all got one guy got an MSC deal, the other guy got a CNN deal, so they learned nothing. So I have no idea. The CIA involved in putting the 51 intel experts together, now directly involved, that disputed the the authenticity of the of the of the Biden laptop, of the Hunter Biden laptop. Now we know that's not true. Soon we're going to learn about the Joe Biden stuff that it's all true. But how soon? And will it play a role in the election? That's the key. Here's Jonathan Turley, cut seven. I think the FARA violation is the one violation that the White House does not want to see included, because if you determine that Hunter Biden was an unregistered foreign agent, the question becomes, what was he a foreign agent for? It leads you directly into this influence peddling operation. I've been a critic of influence peddling for three decades. Um, I've never seen the like of the Biden family. Influence peddling is the family business for the Bidens. It always has been. The D.C. media tries hard to ignore it, but it's going to be hard to ignore if you have a FARA violation for him serving as an agent for a foreign interest. And the question then is, what is that foreign interest? I think this is a big deal. Uh, I would think it's a big deal, too, if the Trumps had no business interests. They spent their whole lives in politics, and it turns out they're involved in all these countries with all these different business people, Uh, one of which really bothers me. It's the Belt and Road Program. It was a lithium mine that helps build batteries for electric cars, which we're trying to transform our economy is against our will. And we gave up an access to everything to do with national security and energy and Hunter Biden's firm is involved in the selling of that to China. That isn't 
business treason? I don't know what is. Brian Kilmeade Show. We come back. We talk about these great NBA playoffs. LeBron James. Why isn't he beloved? But boy, is he still great. Jeff Benedict on his uh, best-selling book, LeBron, next. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Played exceptionally well here tonight, and um, you know we had some some good moments, but you know not as close to 48 minutes as we needed to be. But uh, we had another opportunity on Friday, and we look forward to the to the matchup again. And that's uh, LeBron James talking about the Warriors' big uh, big win over the Lakers to stay alive. They still win the best of seven, uh, three games to two. This is off the play-in game. They could be looking at another championship. Jeff Benedict. Uh, multi-New York Times best-selling author. His latest focus is on LeBron James. It's called LeBron. Jeff, this is helping sell your book, isn't it? This unlikely Laker run? It, it, good morning, Brian. It's a very unlikely run. Uh, this is a team that, you know, literally just a few weeks before the playoffs, uh, most people thought probably might not even be in the playoffs. Yeah. And their, own, their only way into the playoffs was to win a, a play-in game, which, by the way, they barely won. And and so they they sort of limped in to the playoffs. But what they've done since then, over the course of what's been almost a month now, has been extraordinary. And now they're in this uh, epic series with the Golden State Warriors, which, in in my opinion, is very much like watching the, the best television yeah. that the NBA has. Is these two teams? Tell me about this guy. Uh, we know how great he is on the court. We know he didn't go to college, and he's so proud of his son, who announced last week that he's going to USC. Bronny, much smaller than him, as you mentioned, a good player, obviously, see what he does. But what did you find most fascinating about looking at this guy? Because he's really not beloved outside Cleveland, is he? You know, I think it's mixed. And I've been around the country the last month because of the book, meeting with people all in all kinds of different cities. And it's fascinating. I think that, you know, LeBron's the only player in history that's led three different franchises to an NBA title. It's extraordinary. You know, he could have stayed in Miami and just won championship after championship down there. But to your question about what's most interesting is I think learning why LeBron is different and really does march to the beat of his own drum. And and that story is his origin story, where he grew up, how he was raised, the abject poverty, the absence of a father, um, the, the grittiness of a mother who had to do it like on a shoestring with him. Those are things that really do explain actually the way he goes about the business of basketball. He's, he's known for his passing, even though he's the all-time leading scorer. I think he's fifth all-time in assists, which is extraordinary. And that's because when he was a very young boy and first had a ball put in his hand, his first coach told him, he said, if you want kids to really like you and want to play with you, pass them the ball. Because LeBron was so talented early, he could just score all the time on a, on a youth basketball court. He didn't need to pass the ball. But his coach taught him the value of giving the ball to other people is that they'll like you and they'll want to play with you. And in the end, your team will be better. Th- those kinds of simple lessons from LeBron's childhood, he actually still ha- he carries that stuff with him today. And you mentioned his pride in his son. That really goes back to the fact that LeBron didn't have a dad growing up and what you see in him, to me, that's most impressive, more impressive than basketball, is the pride he takes in fatherhood and family. He's probably the most demonstrative athlete in America of any sport in terms of being proud about his kids and being very open about his love for them. Like He'll use words like love 
about his daughter and his two sons in very public venues, and he's super comfortable doing it. It's interesting because uh, he said he's, his son's going to college will be the first one in his family to go to college, uh, even though he's a yeah. billionaire. Having his yeah. son go to, even if it's probably going to be a year at USC, what, what do you think that does to your story? Are you surprised he's staying near his home in USC? You know, I'm not because this family is so tight, uh, Brian. I mean, obviously, the James family lives in Los Angeles. So in a way, it's like going to the hometown school. Um, I mean, USC and UCLA are both like a a very short drive from where their house is. And so I I think there's a lot about that that makes sense to me. But I I think that with LeBron, it's so interesting is that he, my, one of my favorite scenes in this book was when Bronny uh, was just learning to walk. And there's a, there was a great scene way back in the Cleveland Cavalier days where Bronny slid off his mother's lap and walked across the court during a, during a game. And LeBron put him on the bench beside him. And you could see the other players on the Cavaliers team, like they weren't just looking at the boy, but they were looking at LeBron looking at his boy. It, it's he, He's been this way with his kids for a long, long time. And I think, He's really done a great job mixing family and the business of basketball. What's what, what his response been to your book? You know, I, I don't really know what what he thinks about the book. I mean, I'd be surprised if he talked about it in a public venue. Um, and I don't think any of the reporters that are covering the playoffs would ask him about it during the playoffs, nor do I think they should. Um, you know, his focus, he's locked in right now on trying to win another title. And um, but, you know, look, people in Los Angeles are reading the book. It's got a tremendous play out there. And if nothing else, I think Laker fans are learning a lot more about a, the, the guy they have on their team. There's a lot about his background that they didn't know. Uh, here's uh, LeBron talking about his the claim that Steve Kerr's making that the team is flopping all around. And that's what LeBron's been ke- accused of. Cut 34. The conversation in the last 48 hours has been from the Warriors standpoint has been gamesmanship on your team and flopping do you feel like that affected anything in terms of the way the game was dealt with tonight on the court i just know that our coaching staff and us players we don't we don't work on flopping that's not even a part of our game our our game is to attack the paint we don't mind physical contact we actually like the contact we're just not a a, a team that you know goes out there looking for for flopping opportunities it's just not us he does have that reputation right (laughs) brian i'm sorry for laughing i can't help it but I think that LeBron has has become so skilled at answering questions like that. It, sometimes, if you don't have a sense of humor, you just miss it. But like when he says, "We don't work on flopping," <laughs> it's like, how do you not see like what he's doing? It's, I think it's funny. It's just like he didn't take the bait in the first round when the player on the Memphis Grizzlies said he was too old, and and I like to poke the bear, which was a mistake. And I think that the thing they, is, they lost. LeBron's been around too yeah. long. Jeff, uh, good luck with your book. LeBron's great. Bestseller already. Jeff Benedict, thanks so much. Admiral James Tavridis next. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show if i'm president i will have that war settled in one day 24 hours i'll meet with Zelensky. they both have weaknesses and they both have strengths and within 24 hours that war will be settled it'll be over 
That was uh, President Trump. Uh, he said that never would have happened if he was president. Everybody knows it. And he said the war would be over in 24 hours. He says he likes Zelensky. He always got along with Putin. Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander in NATO. Admiral, what are your thoughts about that answer? Uh, most ridiculous answer of the entire town hall. And that's pretty high bar to get over, frankly. But um, first of all, that war was going to happen, whoever was the president, because it's a war of Putin's ego. And uh, all that I have seen would lead me to believe that Putin would have launched that war with or without uh, Donald Trump being in the White House. Um, secondly, the idea that it would be over in 24 hours is just nonsense. Uh, when you look at Zelensky and you look at Putin, they're both completely dug in. And the idea that, that if President Trump were elected, that would suddenly change that calculus just makes no sense to me. So I, I just don't see either of those statements making any sense, Brian. Do you think that uh, if we don't leave Afghanistan the way we leave, uh, that, that there, there's a, down a different perception? And maybe Vladimir Putin says America's just backing out. They look so weak. They just humiliated themselves. What, what could happen? I'm going in. I think there's some logic to that. Um, I always say I think there are three reasons that uh, Putin decided to jump when he did. Number one was the, the massive global distractions that came with COVID. Number two was the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. And wherever you are in the political spectrum, I think you ought to be able to say, yep, that was a real debacle. And I think that contributed to it. And then I think number three for Putin was his own sense of his clock ticking, his internal politics. I think those are the three things that came together and caused him to jump. All right. So let's talk about what's happening now. Zelensky seems to have almost, the, according to Jack Keane, almost the number of tanks he needs. Uh, and he just is a story in the BBC today saying Zelensky and it's picked up elsewhere that he said, we're not ready quite yet to do the surge. We, you know, we'll be ready soon, but we're not ready yet. Is that a head fake? Could be. Um, and we've seen again and again the Ukrainians are very, very good at uh, information warfare. Um, for example, about six months ago, they head faked that they were going to go south, and in fact, they went north. Um, I think that could be a timing head fake um, designed to make the Russians feel as though, hey, we still have a few more weeks here. But I'll tell you, Brian, when I put it all together, I think the Ukrainians are going to go in the next four weeks. It just feels that way to me. I think Jack Keane would probably agree with that. It's a combination of the Western equipment showing up, the training levels rising, the morale factor. Um, all of that's coming together to look like a pretty good spring for the Ukrainians. Uh, this is what his quote was. Uh, Zelensky described his combat brigades, some of which were trained by NATO countries as being ready, but said the Army still needed some things, including armored vehicles, and were arriving in batches. So tell me what you hear about Bakhmut, which the longest time we heard yeah. was gone, and the Russians just about had it. Now we see that it seems the Ukrainians are pushing the Russians. It's quite extraordinary and heartening, and part of what's happening there is the deep, bitter acrimony and division between two wings, if you will, of the Russian military. One, these awful mercenary group led by uh, a man named Prigozhin. This is the Wagner group. These are criminal reprobates, many of them dragged out of prisons. 
they, the Wagner Group, are in a huge fight with the conventional Russian army, and they're squabbling over ammunition, supplies, who gets the next pallet full of bullets. It's it's really two scorpions in a bottle going at each other. I think that is causing weakness in and around Bakhmut, where those two groups, the Wagner Group and the Russian conventional armed forces are on the same front lines. That's creating scenes that I think the Ukrainians are starting to exploit. It's good to see. Well, uh, Vladimir Putin's address, I think their day is May 6th. Is it May 6th, their victory day? Ninth. Ninth, excuse me. Uh, it was very scaled down. Many cities did not have any celebration at all. How yep. does that figure into the drone attack on the Capitol? It looked like a remarkably produced three-camera shoot. Um, so I'm just wondering what you hear about that. What do you look into looking for signs? Spoken like a man who uh, does a lot of three camera shoots every morning with Fox. Yes. Brian, you you know, this business and you're right. It it looks so staged, so fakey. And I think it was Putin's attempt to try and whip up patriotic fervor. Didn't work. And boy, that uh, parade was pathetic. I mean, broken down old tank leading the way. Um, I thought the most significant thing, by the way, were no aircraft flying overhead. I mean, gosh, we have aircraft flying overhead practically every football game in America, and uh, they can't even muster it up for their one-time annual parade. Pretty pathetic, frankly. I I see a lot of cracks in the Russian facade going on, both in Moscow and on the front lines. Yeah, I understand only one tank from the World War II era, and I heard they were refurbishing tanks, getting them out of museums for this war. (laughs) Exactly. Think about that for a minute. And, um, you know, now having said that, you know, a tank has capability, no matter how old it is. But I think that... uh, the Leopards, the uh, Challenger tanks, and ultimately the American M1A1 tanks are just going to chew those things apart. And we'll, I guess we'll see. And now with the Leopard, um, the Leopard tanks. So, what do you think is going to be most effective in that terrain, and who's got them? I think it's the Leopard, and this is coming from uh, Germany. Uh, the Poles use it. The Germans use it. Uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, <clears throat> and they are all providing numbers of these. I think the uh, Ukrainians will end up with several hundred very high-end tanks. The trainings coming together. I think the armored personnel are carriers are are there already. Let's see what happens in the next few weeks. But it's, again, it's coming together, and it looks to me like it'll be a pretty good spring for the Ukrainians. Admiral James Sarvid is with us now. Uh, his latest book, Risk It All, all uh, uh, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of of decision. So, Admiral, I know you don't do politics, but you know how it relates to military alliances, and that's Turkey. Uh, I was talking yeah. to Innes Cantor, and he obviously is from Turkey. His family's there. He says it's all everyone is talking about in the Middle East. Erdogan is such a cancer in the region, and he keeps on rigging elections. And now it seems like every opposition party has unified a back one candidate. Could we have a new leader of Turkey? And what would that mean for us? I think it's a coin flip. Um, The leader of the opposition, who, by the way, is slightly ahead in the polls, um, is a man named Kamal uh, Kilgolu. And he is uh, 74 years old. Everybody likes him. He's got a lot of personal kindness and charisma. Um, I think he's got a real shot first time in 20 years. 
if he wins, that would be hugely positive for the West. It would help uh, NATO, would get Sweden into the alliance instantly. It would be nothing but good uh, for the alliance in the West if Erdogan lost. If Erdogan wins either legitimately or squeaks by through control of ballot boxes, I think it's going to be more trouble ahead, frankly. So let's just real quick on my last question is on China. And it seems as though they have rejected all our overtures to start talks or send our secretary of state over. And they say, yeah, you guys want to talk. You want to have a deconfliction line. But the way you're acting is all about repressing and holding China back. Can you decode that for me? We are at a kind of a low point in recent U.S.-China relations right now. Um, the the two-speaker package when uh, Nancy Pelosi went and then secondly when Kevin McCarthy, I thought was smart not to go but to have the meeting with the president of Taiwan and California. But that all of that chafed uh, the Chinese. Then the spy balloon thing hit, and now uh, the U.S. is rolling out increasing levels of sanctions against technologies that we feel China shouldn't be able to advance on things like artificial intelligence, for example. So relations are very low right now, Brian. Um, I think it's still possible that China will ease up and want to open more dialogue as the fall goes on, because at the end of the day, and I'll close here, um, for China, it's all about growth in the economy. They can't afford for us to start closing our markets to them. And they know we've got that capability. So look for a thawing as the year goes on. To, to disabuse me of this comment, I do not understand how Janet Yellen can meet with her Brazilian counterpart and not bring up the fact that they put together an alliance that's getting off the dollar, this BRIC alliance. How could that not be the first thing out of her mouth? Um, I think that we in the United States ought to be very concerned about where the global South, and it's not just Brazil, Brian, it's India, Pakistan, Nigeria, South Africa. It's all the BRICS, and there are 20 countries that want to join the BRICS. This is serious casino, and you're right, Secretary Yellen should be yelling about it everywhere she goes. Yeah, it's you. Instead, we always talked about is green, the Amazon, $500 billion we don't have that's going to go there um, while, we, while we cut our own defense. And lastly, cruise missiles, I understand, are coming to uh, – Cruise missiles are going to go into the arsenal of Zelensky and Ukraine. They're, were they from the British? Uh, from um, the UK? They are, they're from the UK at this point. Um, I'm very hopeful we'll see the United States follow. We have even longer range, more lethal ones that could reach out and touch that Black Sea fleet. There's going to be an announcement in the next day or two about the next tranche of capability that we're, we, the U.S., are sending to Ukraine, but the Brits are really stepping up. What does it mean to you in your research that uh, our patriot was able to knock down a hypersonic? Boy, I'd love to tell you that, oh, yeah, I, I expected that. I did not. Um, I don't think the patriot, as a matter of routine, can knock down one of those hypersonics, but it shows you the missile can get in proximity. How much luck was involved in this particular shot? I'll wait for more analysis from the Pentagon. Wait a second. Can you um, clarify what you mean? I thought it did. It did knock it down, Brian. I meant that I think there was some luck involved in oh. knocking it down, if you see what I'm saying. So um, oh. more analysis to follow. I, as a matter of routine, I wish Patriot could be 
reliable in the hypersonic speed range, but um, you got to have uh, a little bit of uh, Kentucky windage to get that thing down at this stage of things. We're working it hard to get better at air defense. And let me just share this with you. The feds have just arrested an alleged Chinese spy in Boston. So uh, there we go. Good. And I, Good. I, I would like to know why we're having about uh, 25,000 Chinese suddenly realize they want to come through with the Amazon uh, I, uh, through Panama, I should say, the Khyber Pass, and come into our country. They say that a lot of them are scientists. I mean, that's got to concern you as a guy who did a book on a possible war against China. Yeah, I think in the, in the midst of all that immigration, there are going to be bad actors. But let's close on a positive note, Brian. Uh, everywhere I went around the world, including China and Russia and, and every nation around the world, there were lines of people trying to get visas to come to the United States. we got to control that immigration, but let's, let's recognize it's in the big picture. It's good for us. Many of those Chinese coming here will be collective scientists. And here's a newsflash. No American scientists are trying to get into China. So I yeah, hear. We'll listen, so I love it. We do, it. You're a law and order guy. You just want people to do it the right way. Nobody's anti-immigrant. Exactly. Believe me. Yep. Uh, yep. Admiral, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you when I get to Jacksonville. Admiral James Stravitas, okay. 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Thanks, Admiral. Thanks, Brian. Talk and and New York Times bestselling author. Back in a moment. I see your calls up there uh, from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. We'll get to them all. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Don't forget, uh, One Nation coming up Saturday, 8 o'clock. We're going to be going in and out of the Trump rally. It's going to be great. Uh, There's also DeSantis. I think, speech in the afternoon, both in New Hampshire. So this stuff is heating up. Let's find out there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, here we go. Tom Hanks has got a novel out, and he's speaking out. He says, don't ban books. He says, I'm of the opinion we're grown-ups here. We understand the time and the place when when things were written. And it's not very hard all to say that doesn't quite fly right today, does it? Let's have faith in our sensibilities instead of having somebody decide what we or somebody else should be offended by. People talking about, you know, Mark Twain's Huck Finn and things like that. They will look back and be racially insensitive. People looking to ban Gone with the Wind because it brings back the Confederacy or makes the Confederacy look too good. Hanks is reacting to the big movement to get revised classic books and contain modern language. Uh, he said, let me decide. So when Tom, we could say it all day, but Tom Hanks says it, it becomes news. Next, Governor Gavin Newsom's declines to back reparation checks says slavery legacy about more than cash. That's a guy that knows he has no cash. The California governor declined to endorse the cash payments of $1.2 million per recipient. Are you kidding? The reparations task force independent findings and recommendations are a milestone. Yeah, it's an important process. Yeah, you put it in place. And now that they came up with a dollar figure, you don't want to honor it. The guy that, the guy that caught the car. Good luck with that. Now you've alienated and ticked off everybody. It shows you're as insincere as your hair and your teeth. Next. An apparent meteorite crashed through a roof of a New Jersey home and damaged uh, the floor. 
Quote, according to the family, it was warm when it hit. According to the police in Hopewell, a metallic object believed to be a meteorite struck the roof of Ranch Tower Home. Isn't that how we got Superman? Didn't he come in on a meteor? Yeah, well, a spaceship that looked like a meteor when it crashed. People right. thought it was. And when he was around, there was no crime. That's true, unless you have kryptonite, and then you can get away with something. Right, which always turned up. Yes, it, it's green, red, blue. Right. And where do you get kryptonite? At the store. Oh. Next, Fox News dedicated the London Bureau to Pierre Zarowski, who was killed covering the war in Ukraine. That's a great move. All our leadership was there, from Jay Wallace uh, to Pierre's widow, uh, to Michelle, Ra- uh, Michelle Ross Stanton, that's his widow, as well as Suzanne Scott. Pretty great. Next, Joe Rogan uh, fights blanking cult at a new, a new comedy club. He welcomed, uh, He's welcoming comedians. He says uh, the podcast host said... During an interview that he's been putting up with comics who are who aren't afraid to touch third rail of stand up. So he has his own club. He invited people that have been canceled in the past Dave Chappelle, Roseanne Barr to come and perform a non judgmental uh, forum. I heard him talk about this on his podcast. It's called Comedy's Mothership. It features comedians who aren't afraid to explore touchy subjects. Quote, when people do risky things, it's my favorite stuff. We don't do it as as much as alternative comedy. We do it because that is comedy. And if we can be funny with some stuff that you did not think should be funny, then that's wonderful. That's what he'll explore. It's great to be a multimillionaire. They can make your own club and no one can cancel you. He already picked up left California, went to Austin, Texas. Now there's another reason to go to Texas. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. You can always get all my stuff, all my books, including Tom, uh, Frederick Douglass uh, and Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.